Many of you regular attendees at this gathering are quite familiar with the background uh, to our current macroeconomic situation. For the past two years, our discussions here uh, at this event have been centered on the financial crisis and its aftermath, and rightfully so, since the 18-month-long recession that ended in mid-2009 was the most severe contraction we've had over the last 70 years. Since the end of the recession, real GDP has grown at an average rate of 2.9%, which is barely above trend and quite modest when compared to other cyclical recoveries. Moreover, growth has been irregular, ranging from as high as 5% to as low as 1.7% on a quarterly basis. Right now, we're in the middle of a soft patch. Uh, real GDP grew at a below-trend 2.5% uh, annual rate last quarter, and analysts are calling for relatively sluggish growth in the current quarter as well. Before I, I talk about the outlook, I, I want to highlight the main reasons that I believe that growth has been relatively sluggish so far. But before I do that, however, I have to note, as always, that the views expressed are my own and not necessarily those of my colleagues on the Federal Open Market Committee. One reason for the sluggishness of the recovery is the residential real estate market. The 10-year housing boom that began in the mid-1990s resulted in significant overbuilding in many regions of our country. As a result, there are a large number of vacant homes that potential homebuyers may well see as reasonable substitutes for new construction. The overhang has dampened housing activity in many local markets, and it's kept housing starts barely above half a million units at an annual rate. And as a result, residential investment has failed to make a positive contribution to growth thus far. This contrasts with two other uh, very severe recessions of the past 60 years, in which residential investment increased by an average of 40% in the year following, uh, in the year of the recovery, been, the first year of the recovery. Given the significant legacy of overbuilding in the U.S., overbuilding that was unique to this recession, I think, I do not expect housing to contribute significantly to growth at all over the next two years. I'll be referring back to these, these two severe recessions in our history from time to time, just to give you a bead on, on just how sluggish this, this recovery's been. It's uh, the 1974-75 recession and the 1981-82 recession. So investment in non-residential structures, such as stores, office buildings, and warehouses, has also been anemic. Spending in this category fell 7, 16 I'm sorry, 18% during the recession and 17% uh, after the recession, and has taken off four-tenths uh, from GDP growth. But that's par for the course. This is typical of a recession uh, to see non-residential investment, uh, which normally lags a rebound in overall economic activity by a substantial amount. What has been particularly striking is the behavior of household spending. In a typical recovery, consumers gradually begin to see a brighter future ahead and are willing to ramp up spending ahead of anticipated gains in employment and incomes. That hasn't happened this time. Instead, household spending increased just one and three quarters of a percent in the first year of this recovery. In contrast, in each of the other two severe recessions I referenced, Household spending grew by an average of 6.5% in the first year of expansion and added more than 4 percentage points to GDP growth. Thus, a major part of the relative weakness of this recovery can be attributed to the cautious pace of household spending. 
Now, fortunately, there are a couple of brighter spots in the outlook. Business investment in equipment and software has grown 20% in real terms since the end of the recession, and there are good reasons to expect that growth to continue. Technological innovations continue to provide organizations, both large and small, with new opportunities for streamlining business processes and reducing costs through productivity-enhancing investments. Moreover, the cost of capital is relatively low for a large segment of corporate America, and funds appear to be relatively available for creditworthy firms. All these factors are likely to continue to encourage new business investment going forward. Investment hasn't been the only bright spot, though. Exports of goods and services have grown 16% since the end of the recession, adding one and three quarters percent to GDP growth. This is much better than those two severe recessions I told you about. In the recoveries after those, exports were flat or declining and thus contributed very little to growth. Uh, so we're having a better performance on exports uh, in this recovery. While the economic growth in our trading partners uh, has slowed somewhat uh, since the beginning of this year and the recent fiscal developments sort of further clouded the picture for some of them, the robust expansion in many emerging countries um, is likely to continue to support U.S. export demand. Taken as a whole then, what we've seen is uneven, relatively sluggish growth over the past five quarters. Equipment and software investment and exports have been bright spots. Residential construction has been flat, though, as has, and commercial construction has fallen. Consumer spending, which accounts over, for over two-thirds of GDP, is obviously the key to overall growth prospects, and so far it's been expanding at only a modest pace. Many consumers have taken significant steps to improve their battered financial positions. The personal savings rate has jumped from around 2% of disposable income where it was before the recession to around 6% during the recession, and it's hovered around there during the recovery. Outstanding consumer credit has been falling steadily as a result. The combination of a rising stock market and reduced debt has improved household balance sheets and has contributed to a gradual increase in the pace at which consumer spending is expanding. While stronger financial positions have helped, the extremely weak labor market has been a restraining influence on consumer spending. The unemployment rate more than doubled during this recession and has only declined three-tenths of a percentage point from its peak. Given the mediocre pace of GDP growth, that's not surprising. It's going to take sustained above-trend GDP growth for unemployment to decline meaningfully. Fortunately, we're beginning to see some early indications of better labor market conditions. Last Friday's disappointing employment report for November notwithstanding. For example, over the last five months, the number of private sector jobs has risen by an average of 116,000 per month. The average work week has registered gains as well, and average hourly earnings have grown a bit faster than inflation. These all point to rising incomes, which are likely to bolster consumer spending growth uh, going forward. One final factor contributing to the sluggishness of this recovery has been what seems to be unusually widespread uncertainty regarding government policies. Since the recession bottomed out, We've been hearing forceful and impassioned complaints from many contexts in our, our Federal Reserve District about the dampening effect of policy changes that seem to be in store. At first, I tended to discount these reports as the normal gr grumbling about big government and Washington politics, but their persistence and plausibility has me giving them more credence these days. Voluminous rule writing is required for the, by the health insurance 
reform legislation and the Dodd-Frank Act. And with less than a month remaining, Congress is still giving some thought to what next year's marginal tax rates are going to be. Less widely noted are a host of changes in environmental regulations that also be, appear to be uh, inhibiting firms' willingness to commit to new investments um, or hiring outlays, according to our contacts. Add to these impediments the uncertainty about when and how a sustainable fiscal trajectory will be achieved, and you have the recipe for continued apprehension that's likely to be stifling risk-taking. So what lies ahead for the new year? The consensus among professional forecasters is that GDP growth will strengthen to about 3% next year. My own projection would be a little bit higher than that. This is a cautious outlook for calling for a gradual measured increase in the pace of economic growth and a modest de decrease in unemployment. Uncertainty, though, seems likely to dissipate as the regulatory picture is clarified. And I'm encouraged by some recent signs that some of our leaders seem willing to meaningfully address the looming federal fiscal imbalance. In addition, in the last few months, we've seen an improved rate of expanding, expansion in consumer spending, suggesting that household spending will grow more rapidly in coming months as confidence regarding income prospects gradually improves. As a result, I expect private sector demand to pick up steam in the year ahead. Another reason for at least guarded optimism is that inflation is well contained. The price index for personal consumption expenditures, this is the best price index, has risen 1.3% over the last 12 months, and that's very close to my long-run objective of 1.5%. With many commodity prices spiking, outright deflation is clearly even less of a risk than it was a few months ago. I'd like to conclude by pointing out that this favorable inflation picture should not be taken for granted. During the recession, the Federal Reserve cut short-term interest rates to near zero and expanded its balance sheet from around $900 billion to well over $2 trillion. That was an appropriate response to a major economic shock. In addition, the, the FOMC recently decided to further increase the Fed's balance sheet by another $600 billion by the end of the second quarter. While this was motivated mainly by the disappointing pace of employment growth, the of further monetary stimulus at this point in a business cycle is not without risks. Historical experience, including the inception of the great inflation in the 1970s, suggests that central banks should be careful not to steer monetary policy off course by targeting the unemployment rate. Moreover, if growth picks up next year, as I and many other FOMC participants expect, the precautionary demand for liquidity by households, firms, and banks will diminish. At some point, we are going to need to respond by reducing the provision of liquidity to the banking system to prevent inflation from accelerating, as it often can when a recovery picks up steam. Further balance sheet expansion now could require more rapid balance sheet reduction later on, complicating the withdrawal of monetary stimulus when it becomes necessary to maintain price stability. It's appropriate, therefore, that the Federal Open Market Committee, in its last statement, committed that it will, and I quote, regularly review the pace of its securities purchases and the overall size of the asset purchase program in light of incoming information and will adjust the program as needed. As we navigate the monetary policy challenges in the months ahead, I remain convinced that the fundamental economic prospects for our country remain bright. If we can make sufficient progress on the other economic policy challenges we face, I believe we can restore confidence in rising standards of living for generations to come. Thank you very much.